it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Melanie Smith DeRay, an early childhood music and movement specialist who is the recipient of the CMFTA award for recognition of professional achievement from 2010 to present. Melanie performs with the Divertimento Baku Ensemble and also as a kind of a freelance musician and is also Canada's first aerial silk violinist and also the first aerial violinist to be featured on a Canada's Got Talent. So super excited to dive into Melanie's story. And so welcome to the podcast, Melanie. Thanks for having me, Mike. Very excited to be here. You're welcome. Like I just alluded to, lots of different directions that we're going to take this in today, which will be a little bit different for regular listeners of the podcast, some kind of new subject areas, which is always kind of exciting. So before we kind of get going, can you explain just for context what an aerial silk violinist is and what inspired you to become one? Oh, such a great question. So I've been playing violin since I was three and I've been doing aerials for a very, very long time. It's my favorite pastime. And before COVID, a couple of years before COVID started, I was researching music for an aerial routine. And of course I was on YouTube and in front of me popped a video of Janice Martin. And I really believe in paying homage and respect to those who have come before you. And Janice Martin is as best as I know, the world's first aerial violinist. And she was playing in a cube above the symphony and she's from the States. And that moment changed my life, Mike, because I looked at this and I thought, these are my two favorite things to do. How come I'm not doing these? This is this is brilliant. This is amazing. So I started researching um, to see if anybody was doing aerial violin in Canada, mainly on the silks, which means fabric hanging from a rigging point, And nobody was. So I flew to Montreal to do a little bit of extra additional training on a new apparatus. And then I came back to Edmonton. And since then, it's been my passion trying to put these two together and to create um, something that's musically and visually really exciting for people to watch. Excellent. We're going to dive a little bit more into the specifics later, but let's kind of rewind just a little bit. Where did you grow up and what do you call home now? Okay, well, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta. And yeah, like I said, I started playing when I was really, really young. And it was my grandpa who actually got my parents interested in violin lessons for me, which is kind of neat. Awesome. And then what were some of your favorite things to do growing up? Oh, that's a good question. So as a kid, we started in violin, of course, and then we went into piano. We did we did some dancing. We did those kinds of things that, you know, at that time, that's what, you know, girls you know, did in lessons, but I was never allowed to do sports or anything like that, of course, because they were worried about me hurting my fingers. <laughs> and so, yeah, my, like I said, my aerial journey and things that are a little bit dangerous didn't come till I was a little bit older. Yeah, but, you know, very musical upbringing, you know, when I grew up in the time where there wasn't, you know, the internet and there wasn't all these devices. And so you played in an orchestra to keep yourself busy and you did all those really kind of interesting things, right? And so you really dedicated yourself to your music because that was really all there was to do. <laughs> no, I've got you. So it sounds like quite a, a creative upbringing with minimal technology kind of distractions and things like that. I mean, I'm 26, but even I remember when I was like growing up, I used to have like a radio and you used to have to like tune the dial to get to like the uh, different frequencies. So I'm of kind of the age where 
I can still remember a little bit of the past. I had like cassette tapes and just had my Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter and the tape used to go like stretched and blue when you couldn't play it anymore. But then also at the same time, the emergence of like social media and the digital era. So really interesting era to be born in actually a little bit of the past, but heavily influenced also by the future, right? Yes, but you know, I'm so excited that I'm teaching in this era because really when you were growing up, in my experience, what you, your experience was what your teacher's experience was, right? You didn't have access to, you know, to YouTube or to all these different, you know, medias that, that showed you people around the world. It was really who was local to you. So now as a teacher, as long as you really want to inspire and you want to take your kid's journey farther and you're not afraid to experiment with your students, really the world is open to you. It's so exciting and it's such an exciting time to be a teacher and to join students on that journey. So I'm so glad and grateful that this is when I'm teaching. Oh, interesting. Yes, like you've alluded to definitely pros and cons of technology and I guess the pro of technology is definitely connecting people together all over the world. If technology didn't exist, then I wouldn't really be able to do the podcast especially as we hopefully are at the end of kind of the pandemic because been doing all of these recordings virtually and connecting with like people all over the world so in that sense very grateful for technology right exactly it's so amazing and just yeah the growth as humans that we can have is brilliant also so outside of kind of music growing up what were maybe some of your favorite kind of like subjects in school Ah, that's a really, really great question. Generally, sciences were, to be honest. I I actually never intended to take my music anywhere past music lessons. And life always has a funny way of working itself out, generally. And when I graduated high school, I went into university wanting to do chiropractics. And I was doing sciences for a few years and, you know, trudging through it. And opportunities presented themselves in, you know, unexpected ways. I had applied to chiropractic school and in the States, actually. And they had sent me a letter saying, we're sorry, you're too young. You need more experience. And at the time, I thought that was just crushing. And, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And, and because of that, I started volunteering. I had an extra year back in Edmonton. And so I started volunteering at a Head Start, an, an inner city Head Start. And started working with children and I also had an opportunity to start doing some teaching someone had approached me about it and so those two you know beautiful opportunities that that happened because I was here changed my life and from that head start I realized that definitely teaching is where I wanted to go and then the opportunity to to start teaching violin specifically just kept my love of, of music going and so I'm very very grateful for those moments that sometimes feel really defeating but really do change your life for the better. Oh, for sure. So, so combining like two passions, right? The music mm-hmm. and then also like teaching. So how did you kind of fall in love with teaching kids? Have, have you always enjoyed spending like time with kids and watching them grow and evolve? Like talk to me a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. You know what? Like I said, it was just like a surprise, a surprise journey for me. And I, you know, you always, you always like children, <laughs> you always <laughs> like children. But really, like I said, when I started volunteering, I just, I wanted to be more of a role model and I wanted to make a difference. And I, I loved the process and I loved that they, the joy that they brought to my life. And I love the joy I got to bring to their life. And yeah, so after, after I finished my four years of a science degree, I realized that this is not really what I want to do. And so I went back to school and then I got an arts degree, of course, majoring in music. And then I went back to school and got another degree <laughs> and then I went back and I got my master's as well. So I just kept going back to continually just be better at what I was doing. 
Fantastic. As I've discovered through doing the podcast, life has a funny way of presenting opportunities at certain moments and often not what you expected to be doing originally. Like I, I went back to school after doing like theater and I still love that type of thing. And then I went, took a media and communications course. And then during the media and communications course, I discovered the whole world of like online, digital, more like podcasting, entrepreneurship. Yeah. It's crazy how much is out there that unless you taste and experience different things and also are lucky in some ways, depending on the context that you grow up and there's so many more things out there that you realize. Absolutely. And you know what? Allowing that change to happen and being open to embracing that change. And I think sometimes we, it's very easy to get fixed on, you know, like just a certain path that you, you know, you ex- either maybe your parents expected you to be on, or maybe you expected that, but to, to, to be open to those, those, you know, the forks in the roads that allow you to, to go to a different path. It's a really beautiful thing. And I think a very important thing as a human in terms of growth. Totally agree. And then, so do you remember kind of one piece of music or artist that kind of remembered most from your kind of childhood? What was your first CD that you bought, for example? Any of those sorts of things? Oh, you know what? It really wasn't a CD that changed my life, to be honest, Mike. It was actually a teacher that I had. And so I think I've shared with you that I was I was playing from a very young age and we had very strict classical teachers. And so we were going through all of the exam systems. And after I had finished that, you know, the exam that you must finish to, you know, to be done your grades, I remember I had begged my mom to quit. I'm like, I don't want to practice like this. I'm not enjoying music. And really at that point, it was because music had become something that it was lessons and it was, you know, two hours of practicing a day. and Very structured and that, regimented. Yeah. Yes. There wasn't a lot of joy in it. And and luckily, I was still playing in an orchestra. So I still got to connect socially, but it wasn't something I was loving. I wasn't being fulfilled by it. And so my mom had, you know, she just said to me, I'm sorry, I spent too much money on you. You're not allowed to quit, but you can change teachers. You can do something different with your music. And so she found me a teacher actually in Edmonton, and he was a fiddle teacher. I mean, he was this jack of all trades teacher, and he played the banjo and the guitar and the fiddle in, like he played everything. And he was such an interesting person. And I remember my first lesson with a mic and he said, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to play? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I want? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? I've never been asked that before. What do I want to do? And I said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to experience with like big band. I want to try different things, things that I remember, like maybe my grandpa played or those kinds of things. And so, and so he said, yes. And it was just so eye-opening to me. And so for the first time in my life, as 16, I was 16, I got to choose what I wanted. And music finally became joyous. And I finally built up my self-esteem. You know, I, I felt I connected to the music and I felt good playing it. And um, before that, you know, when you play sometimes, like it, well, when you're preparing for an exam, music is very stressful. And you always, you're always self-doubting and you're always taught to be very critical because you continually need to be better. And sometimes I think you stop appreciating how good you are or, you know, taking joy in what you're playing because you're always stressed that it's not good enough. And so for the first time that self-esteem through music came. And so that was that moment where I realized like that style of music, that folk music allowed me to connect. So that was my defining moment musically. Nice. And that teacher sounds like very fun. So when I was growing up, like I must have only been like 12 or something, I I thought learning to play the guitar would be cool. And so I I started it like a lot of enthusiasm at the beginning. Oh, this is exciting. Got a guitar for Christmas and stuff. But gradually my motivation like faded for it because 
not really my teacher's fault, or maybe it was, like, I, I got stuck playing the same pieces of music over and over again because I would, like, forget to practice, or I'd have to miss a lesson for some reason or another, and so that's one of those things that I wish maybe I'd started a few years later, like, when I had a different set of skills and things like that, but you always wonder about the ifs, the ands, and the buts, right? Absolutely. And you know what's interesting? If we're going to talk just about, you know, being a teenager and playing music, I, you know, growing up, like I, like I spoke about, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't as much for us to do. You know, there wasn't all of the sports and all these really cool things that kids can do now. So as a parent, you know, of kids growing up now, I think it's quite challenging because you have all these opportunities for your children and how do you choose and you want to give them a little bit of everything but you yet you want them to do really well and so pursuing music to high levels or to committing to music is very difficult because there's so many other things and I I really do feel as a parent myself you feel pulled in multiple directions so it's a very interesting thing for parents and probably for teenagers now because you want to do music but you want to do this and you want to do this and there's so many things so it's it's a very interesting time to learn music too. For sure. And then so for you, obviously, violin's a big part of who you are and what you do. So what's kind of the most challenging thing about learning to play the violin and kind of why? Oh, such a good thing. You know, what's really, I think, the most challenging is being able to be a master or ex- I don't know, maybe even not a master, being being really well versed in multiple styles. That's probably it. Being able to play multiple styles authentically and technically well and to really pay homage to those who have come before you in that style. So, for example, as a classical musician, you know, you're very poised and there's certain technique that comes with that. And then when you're playing folk music, you know, the ability to relax, the different bowing styles, the the different nuances, being able to articulate each of them very well. And for me, I find that's that's the most challenging, but that's exciting. And then kind of quickly, if you know, how many violins do you own and how many hours do you practice in a week? Oh, that that, oh, that changes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I have many violins. Uh, some of the ones you see on the wall behind me are my kids' violins. I don't know if you can see. Yes, I, I can. A very creative backdrop. I, I like oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> yeah. So I have um, a couple different violins that allow me different things. I have, I have two different kinds of electrics. So one of the electrics that I use allows me to play upside down and to do all kinds of really cool stuff. The other electric I have that I just love, it's a wood violin viper. It has six strings. It looks like electric guitar you attach to your body. So the world of violin right now is so exciting. You know, it's, we can be like, we can be as cool as electric guitars. Like there's so much we can do. And then in terms of acoustic, I have a five string acoustic electric. So what that means is that it offers the beauty of looking like a wood violin, but it has a pickup inside it so I can go electric. So if I'm at an event that wants something that looks classy, but I need to project, I have that as an option. And then I have multiple four strings. I have quite a few. So I have some that have come from around the world where their their scroll is shaped into an animal. I have some that have octave violins. I have, there's just so much, like there's so many things you can do with violins. I have a lot. <laughs> That's all you can say. I have a lot yeah. and I love them all. Make it sound very exciting and very creative because I, I want my, my, I guess my context and knowledge of a violin is very like in the very structured like form and orchestras and stuffs sitting down versus more like creative and like energetic and, and and those types of things but i've seen on like tv shows and so people that take it to like different levels like people like tylo figueroa from america's got talent and stuff i, I find all that stuff very like fascinating and 
when I see those types of energetic performance, same with like kind of gospel singing and big yeah. choirs, I'm always like standing up at home and like joining in and things like that. That's my favorite thing about entertainment and storytelling and all of those types of things. Absolutely. But you know what's so exciting is that instruments are just growing and your ability to play instruments, Mike, is so interesting. I'm sure it's the same in the guitar world. I don't have a ton of experience in the guitar world to tell you all about the amazing things that are happening to guitars, but I can definitely tell you about string instruments. <laughs> and really, you know, there's so much you can do. Violins don't only have four strings now. They've got five and they have six and you can do so much great stuff with it. So it's a really exciting time to be playing music right now. It definitely sounds like it. And so apart from kind of the violin, do you dibble and dabble in any other musical instruments? Yes, actually. So I, every two years, I try to take up a different instrument for myself and my brain, something that I haven't learned. So every two years, I'm picking up something different. And I've done everything from the cello to the accordion to, you know, those kinds of things. But the ones that have stuck, of course, I've played by or piano since I was young. So I use piano all the time to accompany students. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, I took the harp because it was an easier instrument. It was sitting, it was beautiful, it sounded great. And, and I kept that up, I love it. I love, just love, love, love the harp. So that's something that I've taken lessons on and off for, for 10 years. I just love the sound of the harp. I love the challenge of it. And students really enjoy hearing a different duet next to their ear. And I think that's really important as a teacher to be able to offer that as well, to help them grow outside just their instrument, but to teach them to be able to play with other people and with other sounds. Love it. And then at what point did you develop that kind of philosophy, mentality of like learning to play something different, like every two years, roughly? Because a lot of people will be like, yo, I'm, re I'm really great at this. You know, I'm making a yeah. solid enough living doing this. I'm, I'm happy. Like, why do I need to add more strings to my bow in a musical sense? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I started teaching, everything was happening. I was in education at school. I was learning to be a better teacher. And I wanted to be a better teacher for my students. And I, I know that what I loved most was making music with others and the joy of connecting to others through music. So I wanted to, of course, be a better teacher for them. But I also felt that to be a better teacher, I needed to know more. And, you know, when you're in a folk circle, understanding what accompaniment is doing helps make you a better soloist as well. So if I understand what the guitar is doing, if I understand what my accompanists need, if I if I have a better understanding, I can work with them better. We can be a better team and create better music together. So those kinds of things always helped propel me. And I just think it's interesting to, to, to learn something, to challenge your brain in a different way and to show your students that you're always learning and you're growing and you're not perfect. Because I really, I really do believe that we, you know, we're their best role models when we are modeling and perfection and growth. You know, that's when kids really, really respond well to you because they see that. They see you growing and they're not willing to, or sorry, they're willing to take risks because they're not scared. They see you learning as well. That's a fantastic teaching, like philosophy and I'm sure very motivational for like the students that you teach I'm sure and obviously I've never been in a lesson of yours but yeah. I'm sensing that you're quite actively involved like the room's quite like energetic and you really invest in their success does that sound accurate that's that's my 100 <laughs> percent yes it's absolutely teach to inspire you got it perfect okay so we'll dive back into this in a moment but and we're gonna have a little pause for a guest staple tea fact I always like to teach the audience something new about tea to the best of my ability. So today, yeah, so, so today's tea fact is due to the growing popularity of tea in the early 20th century, many people use tea, especially the Pooh Earth tea, 
as some form of currency. So in this case, tea was shaped into discs or kind of different molds, and they were used across Asia as kind of a mean of exchange and currency. Places such as Mongolia, China, Russia, Siberia, and Tibet actually saw an increase in the use of tea as kind of a common currency between the different trades. And that comes from topictea.com slash blog slash tea dash blog slash study testing facts about tea. So it's always cool to see how diverse, I guess, the tea industry is and how it has evolved over centuries and centuries, right? Yeah. Did they say if there was one tea in particular that was more of a hot commodity? Not really, but it did allude to specifically the poo earth kind of tea, so... So more geographically rather than the type. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. And I know we were talking before we kind of hit record on this, but what's your favorite type of tea? I enjoy green tea. I really do. I've I've drank it for years. I probably drink it less now that I'm a parent. I drink more coffee. That takes over a little bit more. But in my younger, healthier days, (laughs) I probably drank a lot more green tea. Yeah. Super, super good for your body. I was going to follow up with with that. Did you fall in love with green tea for kind of the health benefits and presumably quite good for the voice, especially if you're using it a lot for teaching and even just music in general, right? Absolutely. And, you know, and also too, like for for digestion and metabolism and all those great things that tea does, right? The green tea is so, so healthy for you. And when you're, you know, when you're buying it organically or you're, you know, starting from the leaves, oh my goodness, (laughs) it's so great. Cool. So we're going to change it up a little bit now. So can you kind of tell us about your journey from high school to becoming an early childhood music and movement specialist and expand a little bit more on why you wanted to work with children? I obviously know we touched on it earlier. A little bit. Yeah. So when I went back to get my arts degree, it was obviously because I wanted to go back and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work a bit more with kids. And so first I thought maybe I wanted to work more with the psychology of kids. That was really fascinating. And then, of course, through that, I said, no, it's more about the teaching. So I went back and I got my arts. And then, of course, I went back and I got an ed degree and after ed degree. And then after teaching, I went back and got my master's. So that's kind of how the education side evolved. But how I ended up kind of getting to where I was and specializing in little humans. So, of course, you know, I've taught for, for a number of years. And when I had my children, I took a mat leave, as, as most teachers do. You take your mat leave. And when I came back, I wanted a part-time position. And my district wasn't able to give me a position that was an FTE that I wanted. And so I let go of my contract, which is a really, it's kind of an unheard thing to do as a teacher to let go of a continuous contract. But I knew that I wanted to raise my children with the same passion that I taught with. So when I was at home, like I said, these opportunities, things always happen. So I had a really young child at home and I ended up taking a lot of classes with my little ones, movement and music. And I ended up falling in love with the programs. I ended up falling in love with that age. I loved what I was doing. I loved the difference I was making. And I loved, I loved working with parents at that age. And so there, that my journey started there. And I aligned myself with a beautiful human in Edmonton who was so innovative at that time. She was working with early childhood music and movement. And I'm just so glad that I did because I started, you know, at the infancy of her growth with different kinds of like IntelliDance movements. And that's kind of how it all started. And and then from there, that's that's where I focused on my energy. I loved it and my, my energy fit it, my creativity fit it. I just love those little people, Mike. Like that is, for me, that's kind of where it is. 
And, and, you know, like I said, things, you know, always kind of fall into your lap. And now I was offered a dist, uh, teaching position in the city that I live in, specializing in little people, right? They needed something like that. And I was just in the right place at the right time. And so everything kind of happens the way that it should. And my position is beautiful and part-time. So it allows me to still be a great musician and to still be a great mom and to still do all those things I love. So I feel very blessed in life. That's fantastic. And like you said, it definitely sounds like fortunately and also deservedly, like the balance is like kind of taken care of, of itself, which obviously I'm not a parent, but I know a lot of parents and understand how hard it is to balance their passions with also kids and how unfortunately a lot of people have to give up their passion or like put it on hold to like look after the kids. So it's, it's really Absolutely. fantastic that you're able to accomplish like both at the same time. Thank you. I was, I was I was pretty proud. It was a really difficult decision. And if you have some moms that are listening, I know they will they will understand, right? Especially when you're, you know, you've worked really hard for many years to establish your career. And, and making that choice is really hard. So I just feel very blessed that I was able to come full circle and to gain something from that and then to be able to come back to it. I was pretty lucky. And also symbolic and beautiful at the same time. Just those full circle moments. Yes, yes, it's yes. It's my favorite thing about life. Yes, yes, 100%. We're so lucky. And it's so great that you see that too, right? And those, yes. Anyways, yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, just to expand on that for a second, like when I'm on social media and I initially make a, like, a connection with somebody and then we might not talk for six months, but then in six months, for whatever reason, we'll pick it back up and like carry on the conversation. And then we might do some collaboration. Let's say they were on the podcast and then just keep building it. I've made some really like great friendships like that have been built on like social media. And so I'm excited to start turning those like digital relationships also maybe into do some traveling into like physical relationships too. I find that whole fascinating on how you, you can expand beyond your community and, and then eventually meet different people all the way around the world, right? So cool. So how do you find people that you connect with on this amazing program and this podcast? So at the beginning, it started as a college project. And so it was just people that I went to school with and then gradually started learning about the role that social media can play in kind of networking. And so I started branching out slowly. But a few people that I met randomly online, like on, especially Twitter. Twitter is a great one for connecting with like-minded people. And so, and I just kept building and building. And then, you know, from your own career and your continued career that as you do it more consistently, then you start to develop a little bit of credibility and reputation. And there's always that t turning point at some point it can be subtle or it can be big and then at that point then all of a sudden people start like reaching out to you like wanting to be on your podcast and the first time that ever happened to me I was like whoa <laughs> so you're celebrating artists and you're like what an amazing thing that you're doing right creating a platform for people to learn and to celebrate each other and to grow it's just amazing like it's amazing Thank you. And then also my background is in theater. That was what I grew up doing and loving. And when I reflect upon it and I worked professionally in it for a little bit, what I enjoy the most about it is that it's really that people connection and that teamwork and connecting with all these other creative individuals to produce beautiful pieces of work or that. And it's incredible what you can learn from each other. So in some ways, the podcast also serves as kind of like a professional development tool for me personally, because it's somebody different every week from all walks of life and they're sharing their story and what they know. And I can never replicate that story, but I can still learn from their story, right? 
and share so, with others. It's amazing. Yeah. We learn so much when we listen. I'm just amazing. It's amazing what you do. Thank you. And then being an aerial artist is totally going to be mentally and physically kind of challenging. So what was kind of the hardest thing to learn about this particular art form? And maybe what did you learn yourself and maybe even continue to learn about yourself about kind of the whole process? You know, it's it's really interesting because when you're the only one doing it, <laughs> it's really, uh, you know, it's it's about testing your balance and and are you pushing yourself far enough or have you pushed yourself too far? And and luckily, like you, I reach out to people and I like growing. Um, so I'm I'm very secure asking for help and for opinions and for people to watch and yeah, the growth. It's a very individual <laughs> individual journey. For me, at least it has been, but super rewarding because there's not a standard to, to compare yourself. You know, your journey is your own and it's it's really beautiful and unique. And yeah, I'm just, I'm very lucky. <laughs> so I guess in your case, because there isn't lots of examples really of like pe- people doing it. Well, yeah, obviously there's a few, but there's not a whole lot. Like I'm sure if you Google it, you don't get as many searches as how to play the violin for example and so do you really almost like the that unknown and being able to put your own unique like personality and kind of like stamp on like the the creative process and and, and and the product that you kind of like output Yes. And you know what? There are there are a couple of people that do it in the United States and I have reached out to them. But the hard thing about collaborating and learning from each other is that we each have a different movement vocabulary. So within our own apparatus, you know what you're comfortable with and what you've learned and what you come from. But in addition to that, we all have a different instrument. So to attach a body or to attach an instrument to your body changes depending on the kind of instrument that you have. So when my husband and I started trying to figure out how, how to do this, like I came to him with this crazy idea saying okay I want to play violin upside down like help me (laughs) so we started with house coat ties and we started figuring out how we could tie this violin to my body so we could move and I could play and then but I could move and so you know even though there are other people and people would be willing to share their ideas unfortunately it's it has to be a very individual journey too right for for what you're about to offer but I do hope that one day you know, there'll be, you know, I don't know, Cirque du Soleil will hire all of us and they'll bring us all to a show and we'll get to all do something amazing and collaborate and meet because I don't feel that the small group of us is competitive. I actually feel like we're very, like we all support each other's work. We follow each other and I, I don't feel in competition with, with any of them. And maybe it's because we each work very individually in our own art, you know, and not in competition. It's a very interesting field to be in because there's so few of us. That sounds, at the same time, as much as it could be potentially be challenging, it also sounds very rewarding and kind of exciting that you can all work together and be that supportive network for each other without feeling like it's competition. Yeah, and I don't. And, you know, I I really believe you are who you surround yourself with. So if I'm promoting them and I'm making them better, that means that I'm getting better. And that means that what we do is getting more popular. And so for me, I, I don't think that there's any benefit in life to not feeling empowered by other people and to allow other people to inspire you or to feel that you're not good enough as well, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Cool. So obviously we've talked about a lot of about your music and then also the aerial work and that type of thing. So can you talk us through maybe like what a weekly practice schedule looks like? Are we talking 6 a.m. in the morning or is it structured completely differently? 
Oh, you know what? I wish I could tell you that, you know, I, I wish I could say I was, you know, like the Hillary Hans of the world and had this time to practice and was able to, to create this regimen. But to be honest, I'm a mom. And so my time for me is I don't get those three, four hours at a time, unfortunately, right? And, you know, working full time, you don't get that. So I definitely practice when I can. I practice often, but oftentimes it's in very short spurts. So I have something very focused to practice, but that's just for my musical. That's just for the musical side. But when we put together music and aerials, that's a different beast because you need to have the movement very solid. You need to have the music and then you need to figure out how to put them together. So that's always an interesting thing. But for me, a lot of that comes from the music first. So for kind of going into that aerial side, because I'm pretty sure that's what you want to hear a little bit more about. So for me, that whole process starts with the music. So I found that generally uh, audiences respond best to music that's more contemporary for aerial violin. I do try to throw in things that are a little bit more folk sometimes or, you know, self-compositions, but those are far and fewer between. Usually people really enjoy stuff that they're connecting with and then experiencing that watching something very interesting visually. So usually the challenge for me is choosing the music that allows me to find the balance between playing and yet moving so it's interesting because you don't want to see me in one position for too long because then that's not visually exciting right but yet music's also important too so you have to see you have to find that interesting balance and so for me the whole process of the aerial violin starts with the music and then once i find music then it's figuring out the movement that would work so how, what 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 would flow nicely how does that work like what would be interesting visually and making sure that the shapes are different and sometimes i'm vertical sometimes i'm horizontal sometimes i'm upside down like what does that look like to be really exciting and then the third part comes the music and the music needs to be known inside and out because working in an apparatus is sometimes unexpected. So you, you know, you might get, you know, like not caught in the material, but things don't go as quickly as you want. So you need to be able to know the music inside and out so you can jump in at any moment. And if something goes wrong, you, you know, you know where to, <laughs> where to bow out or where to play. So the music just has to be so internalized that no matter what happens, you can jump in at any moment. And that's that's how that whole practice happens. And so there's choosing the song, finding the movement, knowing the song really well, and then making sure it all goes together. So there is quite a bit of time that goes into all of that. So those short chunks, that's usually how I dedicate my short little practice times. <laughs> that sounds very exhausting, even just yeah. like <laughs> listening to it and the incredible like skill it takes from muscle memory to like kind of trusting your instincts to adjust if something isn't going to plan, which I'm sure obviously happened. You don't draw a circle like perfectly every time. So and it's, it's all memorized or right? everything. You can't have sheet music up there. It's not like one of my Baroque <laughs> concerts where I get to, you know, look at all the notes Vivaldi wrote for me, you know, it all has to be in there. So, so yeah, that's, that's the challenge of, of the whole, what I do in terms of musically and the time I put into that, the time I put into my music privately is very different. That's the technical, that's the grinding and all the technique stuff. But this, this practice for aerial violin is very, it's always different. So it's really exciting. It's not the same thing over and over again. It's, it's a very creative process. I love it. Maybe give two examples of very unique venues and audiences that you played in. 
Yeah, my favorite, um, my favorite venues to play in are always cocktail parties, interesting places or festivals where people are walking around. I love that. I love the unexpected of people talking and like, what's she doing? And, and that whole part of it. So my favorite are always those intimate cocktail parties. I love those where I'm hanging from the ceiling and there's people trying to take selfies and like they're right here and all this. I love that. I love the interactiveness. I can still talk while I'm playing too. Like if people are coming up to me and they're talking, like I can still talk talk and so I really do enjoy that part of it I enjoy just that mingle but as you know you also asked me I was also able to be featured on Canada's Got Talent this year which was super exciting and so congratulations thanks yeah they came back to Canada um, after I think it was a 10-year hiatus and I auditioned and I was lucky to be one of the top 80 contestants to be featured on the show which was really really exciting and so I you know I was the first aerial violinist to be on there and I hope that you know, there's more to come. I hope that, you know, the show inspires people to grow. And I hope that I, you know, was able to inspire someone to do something a little different with their music. That's the whole purpose, right? Exactly. I'm curious, how many different kind of like routines for the aerial stuff do you have in your content library? Oh, so great. That's such a great question. I have usually running, I have about 80 different songs that I love that I choose that have been choreographed and I can just, I can play them on the snap, but I have different sets for different energies. Is it a cocktail party? Is it more of a performance? Like a dinner, I've recently done like dinner entertainment where people were having dinner and I was playing, right? And there's ones for festivals, there's ones for weddings, there's just things that are a little bit different. You know, and, you know, there's some ones that get a lot of attention. I'll do some Phantom of the Opera for something or, you know, and then there's ones that are just a little bit more loving, you know, like A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. Like they're just so all over the map. So really, as long as the piece allows me opportunities to move, I, I can use it. So I take requests as long as it works well for me to do what I do. I'm just admiring you, like, not only like all the memorization stuff and the performance element, but also how quickly it, it appears that you can adapt to like, like even upside down to someone's random request. I think stuff like that is, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So usually when people book, Mike, they'll ask, um, like I'll, I'll give them the opportunity. Do you have a, a wish list of a song you would like to hear? Is there something special for you that I could, you know, entertain you with and just visually give you something a little bit different to it, you know, like a selfie moment <laughs> or something. And yeah, usually people will come back to me with a couple and I'll see what I can do and put it together. Like I said, as long as, as long as I can play it upside down and it works okay, then, then we're good. <laughs> have you ever done the Edmonton Fringe? You know what? No, I haven't. I had started, oh, I wanted to so much. I started, well, what I would say, opening my company right before COVID started, right before all the lockdowns started. And I was getting so much traction. I trained and I was getting so much traction and, and things were happening. There was all these, you know, great like organizations and galas we were supposed to perform at. And then the world shut down. So uh, this summer, my plan again, just because you, you never know what's going to happen right. coming up and moving forward. So my plan this summer is to just do a whole bunch of pop-ups out and just share my music and share what I do and just again, put it out there. And I'm just so just so grateful that I have a portable rig that allows me just to pop up in a park. And you know what, and I really want to do some stuff down in quite a few different parks in Edmonton and just, and you know, show people something different. <laughs>
so yeah, that's sort of my plan. And then hopefully, you know, once like, once I make more of a name for myself, of course, you know, doing this, cause this is so new. And then, like I said, we're just kind of starting to come out of all the COVID stuff. Yeah. Uh, then I'm hoping, cross my fingers, that the French will be able to say, hey, she'd be amazing to bring. <laughs> that's my, that's my hope. That's cool. I would totally come see you at the Edmonton French, like hand on, hand on heart. I love the French. I've done it in the past. And I, my favorite part is street performance. I just think you'd be a wonderful fit. That's what I want. I want to be that person that you're walking down the street and these little kids are like, what is this? That's what I want to do for them. I just want to inspire them and that, that's what I want to do. So obviously say as much or as little as you can. Can you expand maybe on why you entered Canada's Got Talent and the message that you wanted to pass onto your daughters and others by entering the competition? Maybe expand a little bit in that area? Yeah, for sure. So the way that the process was is that in the summer, they were sending out social media blurbs about we're taking auditions. And I'm not a competitive person by nature, Mike. I'm kind of more of a empower. <laughs> but I had enough amazing support from amazing humans that I know to say, why don't you why don't you put yourself out there? See what happens. And and really, to be honest, I don't need to I don't need to be famous doing this. That's not my goal in life or in music. But I do just want to inspire others and just to be a role model for those around me that there's no limits to what they can do with their music. So I said, what can it hurt? So I submitted in the summer. And when you submit, you sign like a non-disclosure, like you can't tell anybody you even auditioned. That must so, have been the worst uh, feeling. Hard, right? <laughs> and then, they, of course, you don't know if you're going to get a call back. And I was lucky enough to get a call back. And they said, we'd like to do some more interviews with you. We were in the heart of COVID at that time. So everything had to be done online. So we went through more Zoom interviews. And I was fortunate enough to be given the green light that, you know, you'll go to our live our live show. And really, you know, I've got two kids. I have a son and a daughter. And really, I wanted them to see their mom being brave. And no matter what the outcome, I wanted them to see me taking taking a risk and doing something different. And like I said, I can't say it again, but just the importance of, of being brave, right? And what that looks like. And and yeah, no matter what the outcome, I, I'm just so glad. I'm so glad that I did it. I'm so glad I had that opportunity. I'm so glad I got to share that and my journey with everybody that I knew. It was wonderful. Awesome. And then, so obviously you're in Edmonton and quite a lot of people that listen to the podcast come from central Alberta. So are there any places, I guess, in person or even like digitally that they can see you perform in terms of like maybe any upcoming events or at galas that are open, any of that type of thing? Where can they see the app? Oh, such a great question. You know what? Over COVID, we had some opportunities to do things online. And as artists, we were grateful that we were still working and we were able to do things online. But I don't love things online as I much I do in person. I really love what I do in person. I can connect to your eyeballs, you know, and what and when you when you see me hanging upside down for two minutes in person, it's very, very different than over the over the screen. You lose I can something. imagine. Right. So what I'm going to do this summer is that there's a lot of like, just like I said, like I've had a couple of weddings and all those great things that I get to do, but I can't invite strangers to those. No, of <laughs> so course on my not. website. Yeah. So on my website, my husband and I are just going to post pop-up things that we're going to do. And my goal is to share music with the community, especially those who might not have the ability to see it. Cause I truly, truly believe that music should not be just for those who can afford it. So we're going to go all over Edmonton to all over parks, all over places and just play so those things will always be up on my on my website and i i post them on my instagram <laughs> 
I learned how to do a lot of social media for this. <laughs> I bet. But I guess we're always living and learning, right? So. Yes, it was not part of what I did, right? When I started and you're a teacher, it wasn't part of it, but it definitely, it's an interesting journey because as much as you learn about performing and as much as I learn about that, I learn about how important your social presence is and, and learning about that. So that's a different, that's a different aspect to all of this that I never expected. And maybe you've already touched on it a little bit, but what does kind of the, maybe the next year look like for you, the next three years, the next five years? What are some maybe goals that you could share? Yeah. yeah, of course. You know what? Like my ultimate dream would be to one day play in a pink show, <laughs> to be hanging, well, you know, with pink. <laughs> that would be amazing. But of course, that's always that huge, huge dream. If Cirque du Soleil ever came to Edmonton, I would love to be a part of one of their productions. I know that when they've come in the past, they've hired local circus artists, and that's something that they do outside. So that would always be really, really amazing if that you know, if, if that ever happens again, and they come to Edmonton. As a mom, my heart is here. So I, I'm not a musician that will travel for long periods. I, I love my kiddos and I love my students and that's where my heart is. So I will always be here. But really, I just want to do great things and I want to share. I just want to share my art. I want to inspire others. I hope to build a community of people who, who want to be brave and try different things with their violin and who aren't scared that it's different. Really, that's what I want, you know, is just to to leave the world a little bit more musical than when I started. That's fantastic. Edmonton is a really great place for events and festivals. Anyway, lots of great performance opportunities just within your own city without even having to travel. Yes, yes. And, you know, and now that uh, there's still like a little uncertainty with, you know, things coming back, right. about how does it look and how do we make people feel comfortable and how do we make them feel safe? And so there's going to be, you know, a little bit of, you know, navigating through all that, I think, for everybody for the next year. But we have such a strong arts community in Edmonton and in Alberta, really, to be honest, like we're just so blessed. So I think that I think we will be okay going forward. I think that we will be able to support artists and artists will support each other. I, I really do think that the arts are going to are going to spring back. That's for sure. And so as we come towards the end, who's one person that you would like to see on the Tea with My podcast? Oh, I get to choose. Oh, that's so exciting. Oh, I guess since I'm talking about circus arts, I would love to see you interview somebody that is a leader in our industry within Edmonton. So we have four different circus schools, believe it or not, in Edmonton. We have to know that. Yes, we do. And amazing, amazing circus schools that are changing, changing lives and giving women like me opportunities to do amazing things. So I think you should probably reach out to one of these owners, see what they're doing to promote the circus arts in Edmonton and in Alberta. I learned something new uh, every time I talk to someone different. I know a tiny bit about the, I guess, the arts festival scene in Edmonton, but I, w I wasn't aware that there were like four circus schools in, in Edmonton alone. We do. And, you know, there's um, one of our circus schools, now a circus academy, and we have the first circus festival this summer. It's in June, at the end of June, and it's uh, run by Firefly Circus Academy. So they would actually be somebody very interesting for you to interview because, like I said, they're hosting the first circus festival in Alberta, which is really exciting. Wow. Great answer. And I'll definitely, yeah. I'll definitely look into it in like more detail. Yes, right? They're the first festival. They're all about festivals. So that's who you should probably contact. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Melanie. I really hope you had a, a great experience and really thank you for sharing your story, which is incredible so far and it's a very unique story and category and also excited for you to see what happens next for you and 
to see, I guess, the growth of this particular art form. And so just thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your talents and your experiences and your story. Well, thank you for listening and allowing me to share. And, and hopefully, you know, if people have any questions, they can always ask. And I'm, I'm a sharer, so I'll always help support your journey. Awesome. Oh, and then I guess quickly before we wrap it up, like where can people find you on social media? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, we started, of course, a website for me, and it's www.silkandstrings.ca, Silk and Strings. Um, and then you can also find that on Facebook and Instagram. So it's Silk and Strings Aerial Violin. So if you just search Aerial Violinist in Canada, you will find me. <laughs> <laughs> that's good from a search engine optimization standpoint. <laughs> right? Yes. All right, everyone, this was another fantastic episode of the Tea with Mike podcast uh, with Melanie Smith. If you guys enjoyed Melanie's story, make sure you check out some of the other great stories from the podcast at teawithmike.com and on all other major podcasting platforms, your Apples, your Spotify's, your Anchors, your Podcast Breakers. And so thank you again, Melanie. It's the Tea with Mike show.